2: hello and welcome to the randomly generated history club where three non-historians pick a year at random and try to learn things about it i'm anna and i'm here with my two friends will and aunt
1: hi there Hello.
2: So, before we get to this week's year, oh, we boy. want to address the, some would say, glaring historical whoopsie of last week. Mm. Where an aunt famously covered the year 527 <sighs> CE instead of the actual chosen year, which was, of course, more than a millennium earlier. <laughs> uh, aunt, I believe yeah. you got several angry emails about that.
0: Yeah, lots of emails, messenger foxes, mm-hmm. a lot. I am so Sorry. <laughs> Uh, one came in from a listener named Carline, who mentioned that in addition to none of us catching the references to Christianity, the Byzantine <laughs> Empire. I also talked about the years going up in chronological order, <laughs> which, as it turns out, doesn't happen in the years before zero. Uh, they descend instead. Uh, Carline offered some suge- uh, helpful suggestions for suitable punishments, uh, including A pouring molten gold down my throat, Mm -hmm. B, throwing me in the tiber in a sack with a monkey and a rooster, Mm -hmm. C,
1: defenestrating me, or D, other. Oh
2: God, no bad choice there.
0: (laughs) So please
1: serve them all. (laughs) I do. And please do write in, listeners, with the punishment that you think the RNG should inflict upon Ant for his grievous error. I hadn't quite picked up on the numbers going up rather than
2: (laughs) down. It turns out, Will, uh, you and I are not You know, absolved from (laughs) blame. You're in the sack (laughs) with me. We're in the sack with (laughs) you and the rooster. Good. Okay. This week, we're talking about the year 1795.
0: Mm, Great year.
2: Yeah, one of the classics. Top Uh, vintage. (laughs) Top vintage, Grand Cru. (laughs) Uh, I'd like our three word previews. Ant, you can go first.
0: Bye bye, Poland.
1: (laughs) Okay.
2: (laughs) Nice. All right. Oh, that's really funny given what I'm going to say. Well,
1: walking pace warfare.
2: Walking pace warfare. Bye bye, Poland. And my three words are, aloha, prophesied king. Oh, oh aloha oh. to you. Aloha. The
0: great Hawaiian <laughs> prophecy is foretold. and I'm Well, you'll, you're going to have
2: to find out. Whoa, I will. In fact, you can find out right now. <laughs> so, yes, I am in Hawaii today. Uh, as you yeah, can, can tell, I can tell from
0: the background of your video. Uh, the <laughs> Look waves how laughing. beautiful
2: and tan I am! Oh, it's great. Uh, the in, specifically, I'm in Hawaii in the 1700s. Mm. Still beautiful, but uh, this is the ancient period of Hawaii, which existed from the time of the first settlers who came via long-distance canoe from islands in the South Pacific, mm-hmm. which is crazy yeah. huge distances, like just immense and incredible. I've only
1: ever medium distance canoed myself.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just down the Thames. <laughs>
1: yeah, just down the Thames. It's knackered. not clear to me how that all happened. Yeah, yeah.
2: No, nor I. It it is it seems unfathomable that it happened I mean thousands of years ago. Yeah, yeah. No, but that's actually not what I'm talking about oh, today. Oh, okay. But yeah. uh, maybe one day I will talk about it. This is just some context. So the four biggest islands in the archipelago were each ruled by their own supreme ruler, and there really wasn't much coalition or cooperation between them during the ancient period. In 1778, James Cook makes the first known contact between the Europeans and the Hawaiian Mm -hmm. Islands. ends poorly for him, but more importantly, it is the beginning of the end of the ancient period of Hawai'i. And today's main character is a man named Kamehameha, who was the nephew of the King of Hawaii, by which I mean the Big Island. Okay. okay. And this is a thing that will come up again and again. Yeah. Hawaii is the whole archipelago, and it's also the Big Island. Okay. So I'll try to be clear about that. The historical record is unsure of when Kamehameha was actually born. But I like this. Some sources imply that it was in 1758, because that's when Halley's Comet was seen. And they like to associate him with the comet, as we've discussed on, Mm -hmm. on past episodes. What we do know is that he was raised in the royal court of his uncle, and he was given a very prominent religious position as the guardian of the Hawaiian god of war, as well as control of a big district on the island of Hawaii. And after his uncle died, Kamehameha's cousin Kiwalao become became king, but from the early days of his reign, their relationship was strained. Kamehameha mm. was already getting the allegiance of some of the chiefs around the island, and his cousin starts to see him as a threat.
0: But he had the god of war on his side. Right? He did. He uh. was
2: he was closely associated with the god of war, who did come in handy later on. Spoiler oh, right, right. alert.
0: Yeah, what are they going to do? Gather the gods of like you know, like like cooking and. Farming, I mean, they're, they're defenseless.
2: Well, there are other ones, but uh, <laughs> they chose some more mortal methods oh, to settle, oh, okay. settle their scores. One point of friction, though, is does revolve around a, an ancient legend. So in Hawaii, there's a stone called the Naha Stone. It's this massive piece of volcanic rock. It weighs 7,000 pounds. Oof. And historically, the stone had lots of legends attached to it, including one that said if any man was able to overturn the stone, mm-hmm. he would be granted the power to unify all of the Hawaiian islands. Wow. Well,
0: that's 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 how I unified them. But I I flipped it over. <laughs> you again, flipped it back so, over. Yeah, You're like, yeah, you know
2: what? I, I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. uh So Kamehameha <laughs> is fascinated by this legend, and mm-hmm. sources claim that at the age of 14, after several failed attempts, he was able to flip it over.
1: No, he wasn't. You know, know, people in the UK are critical. Of the first past the post voting system, but <laughs> say what you like about it. it. Like it is superior to stone flipping as a method of. I don't know. I selection.
2: think if if I could find a politician who was capable of flipping over a seven thousand pound stone, I would back them to do a lot of. I think you things.
1: can topple a lot. You know, a human can topple a lot.
2: Yeah, but it's not, I mean, it's not topple. <laughs> Liz it's, Truss it's, toppled
1: the economy in like, whatever, <laughs> eight, eight weeks.
2: Or so. Yeah, and the economy of Britain is worth about 7,000 pounds.
1: <laughs> We're cutting all this. We're not allowed to talk about
2: how to do this. Uh, anyway, so Kamehameha thinks he's the chosen one, and he kind of goes all in on this quest to unite the islands. Uh, in 1790, something called the Oluwalu Massacre happens. It's honestly probably worth its own episode, but in a nutshell, two American fur-trading ships come to Hawaii. The captain of one of them is somehow offended by something a Hawaiian chief does, and so he flogs him. Violence escalates quickly on both sides... Uh, culminating in the Americans tricking some villagers into thinking that they're there to trade, but secretly arming their ship's cannons and firing on the villagers as that's, they're approaching the ship.
0: That's not cricket.
2: It's not great. Uh, they kill a hundred villagers. Oh, um, off the ship, which was ironically called the Fair American. It was not, was <laughs> it, it really? I swear it was called <laughs> oh, that, yeah. Uh, well, one was called Esmeralda, one was called Fair American. Uh, the Hawaiians get revenge and take the Fair American ship. They kill all its crew, save for a couple people. And the chief who captures the ship delivers it to Kamehameha, who lets the two American survivors, a guy named John Young and a guy named Isaac Davis, stay alive and come to work for him as his Is advisors. Is this the
0: John Young of Disney fame? That's John Smith, That's I think. That's John Smith. Oh, never mind then. And wow. also no, but... Yeah. <laughs>
2: no, no, you are wrong sort of geographically and historically. And temporally. You're, yeah, you're off by hundred years a, off. a century yeah. and a half, I <laughs> yeah. would say. Yeah. Well, then. <laughs> <laughs> Time for somebody to watch Pocahontas again. <laughs> that great documentary. Um, so he lets these two survivors come on and be his advisors. So now Kamehameha has a ship with modern cannons, and he's got two advisors who are well-versed in modern warfare, and he's ready to start his war for unification of the islands. And Later that year, which, again, we're in 1790 still, he invades the island of Maui. Using his cannons and the advice... Uh, of, of his advisors, he defeats the army uh, of Maui, but doesn't yet depose Maui's chief. He goes back to Hawaii, the big island, and kicks it for a while. But then in 1795,
0: the year in question, the year in question yes, I did it, guys, did a it. thing
2: happened in the year. <laughs> um, he tries again, he sails to Maui with an armada of 960 war canoes and 10,000 soldiers. And this time he easily takes Maui along with another smaller island.
1: How many people do you get in a war canoe? <laughs> uh,
2: I think you get roughly ten thousand divided by nine hundred and sixty people. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: between one and two. Yeah, I'm, uh, <laughs> <for> a canoe. <laughs> no. One. Wait, what? One hundred. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, 100. sorry. I thought you said one thousand
1: canoes. No, 900 ten
2: thousand soldiers, nine hundred and sixty war canoes. Yeah, no. that's like, it's like a thousand a, canoes,
1: ten thousand people, a yeah. hundred yeah. people each. Th- no, t- ten, well, ten, people ten people each. People each. <laughs> Okay,
0: what range are we talking
1: about? Ten. With these ones it's though? about ten or eleven are about people. Ten age?
0: medium range or hundred long range ones? Because I think we could do them. What? Okay, you don't know this. There could just be one really
1: big canoe true. with like ninety <laughs> nine been... hundred people in this. What, and there's so in, in your mind, in your, small... in your mind, there's like say twenty small scout yeah, a, canoes yeah, small... and then one mega canoe. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
2: they're like the little like cleaner fish on the exactly. on the belly of a whale. It's just
1: a
0: single person skiff and yeah. then a massive, massive one that they're tugging along. It would yeah. have to
2: be
1: so long if they're all in a line.
0: Well, yeah. There'd be like 400 feet long. Honestly,
2: yeah. at that point, you could probably just build the canoe as a bridge yeah. between Hawaii and Maui.
0: But canoe tactics <laughs> dictate that you should always be in a line. So when people are standing <laughs> directly in front of you, they only see one canoe. <laughs> right? Yeah. And they don't know how often, big it is. Yeah. It's
1: like, is that a scout canoe or a mega canoe? You'll we'll <laughs> we'll never or know. Or a, bri- a, a, a bridge canoe? Bridge, bridge canoe. canoe.
2: Br- a brnoo. A, br- a, br- yeah. a, br- a bridge canoe. <laughs> um, this is, uh, you know how much I love talking about different kinds of ships and boats. I am going to table this discussion. and say that a number of canoes and people made it to Maui. (laughs) Uh, And Kamehameha takes the island. He turns to Oahu, unaware that one of his own chiefs has defected and is helping the chief of Oahu prepare for battle. (sighs) But, jokes on them, Kamehameha's troops still win, including at one point by forcing 400 of the Oahu troops to jump off a 1,000 foot tall cliff.
0: Okay, so that's about two and a bit feet per person. (laughs) (laughs) Average height of a person, five foot five, let's say. Yeah, yeah. They could have, had they adopted the canoe tactics, just hand and footed it to each other and just lowered each other gently down, and a few people would survive.
2: That's true. Your math checks out on that one. You've redeemed yourself. I
0: think I have. Thank you very much.
2: Unfortunately, that's not what happened. They pushed them all off the cliff. Um, and the, at this point, the only main island left to conquer is Kauai, which, uh, Kamehameha attempts to take, but is turned back by a storm and a plague that decimates his army. But still, even though he's only got three out of the four main islands, 1795 is considered the start date of the Hawaiian kingdom. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, 15 years later, in 1810, he negotiates peaceful unification with Kauai and Niihau, which is the which were the last two islands, uh, and this completes the unification of all the Hawaiian islands. Nice. It's a little unclear what happened in the intervening 15 years, but presumably the other islands saw that things were going well. Well, they had to yeah. wait for all we'll the join.
0: trees to regrow from the thousands of canoes they would been making. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Exactly. As a ruler, Kamehameha unified Hawaii's legal system, Uh, He promoted trade with Europe and the US. The US in particular became Hawaii's chief trading partner and kind of watched over Mm -hmm. it to prevent Britain and Japan from being dominant. Hmm. Of course, this would eventually be to the detriment of the Hawaiians, (laughs) as about a century later, the US would overthrow the kingdom and then eventually annex Hawaii as the 50th state. Thanks
1: for watching over us.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they watched over us so good that they just uh, took the whole place classic. And as one final note about this, I very briefly wanted to mention the Hawaiian flag because this is a great piece of trivia. Mm. It's the only US state flag that has the flag of another country on it. Huh. So the Hawaiian flag has the Union Jack in the top left-hand corner.
0: Okay, Union flag. Union, Union flag. flag. Yeah. No, a Union Jack is only a Union Jack if it's on a ship. It's yeah, a but so it was.
2: Otherwise. So this
0: So the Hawaiian flag is always on a ship.
2: Well, the origins of it, okay. it was an ensign. It, okay. it was uh, okay. like a okay. standard okay. of a ship. that. So various British um, admirals were, were in the mix and were operating in Hawaii. And Kamehameha had generally good relations with the Royal Navy. And mm-hmm. so at one point, they gave him a standard from the ship. Okay. And uh, the Hawaiians liked it so much that eventually they just accepted that as their official flag and right. that has remained even after the, even to the annexation. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Yeah, so it's the it's the it's a British looking flag in the top left-hand corner and then um red, white and blue stripes okay. that I think represent the different I islands.
1: guess like some of the other po- Polynesian states have British flags in the top left Not as well, right? Not for the same but, for, reason. But because they are actually yeah. British yeah. possessions. Yeah. yeah so, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Yeah. This yeah. was like
2: it was never a British possession yeah. but I still just really liked. I mean, to to your credit, it's a cool looking flag. Yeah, right. It's pretty cool flag, is. Um, is. But yeah, that was
1: brings a tear to my eye <laughs>
2: <laughs> every like,
1: time you raise in the morning while you play the trumpet. <laughs> exactly. Which is actually really hard to get the both the trumpet playing and, and the raising of the flag at the same time. <laughs>
0: it, is, it is it is pretty. Nice.
1: My, you can already play like the three notes, I guess, from one yeah. hand. But my zeal for king and country, yeah, yeah, yeah. forced me to as go you do do re mi.
2: <laughs> the really impressive thing would be if you could also make yourself a couple of tea as oh, you did yeah, all of, of this <laughs> well, but uh you'll get there well that was really interesting yeah so that's a little, just a little bit about hawaii well, i also
1: found it interesting <laughs> great. great good validation
2: i win
0: so i'm gonna talk about poland and the import-
2: Hawaii of Europe. The Hawaii
0: of Europe. <laughs> it's got the classic Hawaii goulash and uh, <laughs> stew. <laughs> classic beach food. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Who doesn't love a hot goulash in the sun?
0: Exactly. Um, but this is about the uh, third and the final partition of Poland. Mm. And when we say partition, this is the splitting up of Poland among the three great powers that surrounded it at the time, which is Russia, Prussia... And the Habsburgs of Austria, okay. so the three states. The real heart of the matter was an excessive bout of proto-democracy. Uh-huh. Um, oh, which, I had proto-democracy uh, last yeah. year <laughs>
2: because there was there was there was a <laughs> There's law. A vaccine now. <laughs>
0: There's a law that was enacted whereby nobles were seen as equals to each other and therefore could all vote, and they could all importantly veto any laws that they wish, mm. and this is called the Liberium Veto.
2: Liberian.
0: Liberium or liber- Liberium. Oh, Liberum okay. Vita. Okay. Maybe my Latin is, is 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 wrong here. But what that really means is that nothing got done. Yeah. So there was a, just a stagnant political state because any law or decree was shot down by those that didn't want it. You know, it was like, oh, we want to raise taxes. No. Oh, we want to lower taxes. No. Oh, we want to <laughs> expand our territory. No. Oh, we want to <laughs> shrink our territory. No. People could just shoot down everything. It was... Frankly, democracy gone mad.
2: You know what they needed is an improv coach who would come in and, <laughs> yes and teach and. them about how to yes and.
0: <laughs> so the interesting thing was, though, that this veto power also meant that far- foreign powers could easily influence the incomes, uh, sorry, the outcomes and their incomes Ooh. of the Poland-Lithuanian sort of Commonwealth, as it was known, so Poland and Lithuania together, because they could bribe nobles to exercise their right to veto to suit their aims. Uh, Poland-Lithuania before the partitions are already in a state of disorder, then, and not really kind of a completely sovereign state because mm. they're effectively uh, this puppet vassal state of uh, being controlled by you know Russian czars. So uh, you know, uh, influencing elections since uh, seventeen ninety-five, really. <laughs> um, yep. This applies particularly to the last Commonwealth king, King Stanislaw August. <sighs> Ponentowski, I'm so sorry, (laughs) um, who was formerly a lover of the Russian Empress Catherine the Great. And he was heavily influenced by Russia. So... Prussia, Russia and Austria were delighted to have this wealthy state basically in their grips and they created a secret alliance called the Alliance of the Three Black Eagles. Cool, man. That's pretty cool. cool, Because they all had black eagles on their flags and Poland had a white eagle. Um, Uh, So they vowed to use their influence to ensure the laws of Poland would not change by exerting bribery and I guess like, I don't know, you know, hooking up with (laughs) the king, apparently, (laughs) uh, or whatever they needed to do. Um, So, during the Seven Years' War, though, and this is all kind of, you know, there was this kind of effective political stalemate there, but during the Seven Years' War, which is 1756 to 1763, the Commonwealth of Poland-Lithuania officially remained neutral towards the warring French, Prussia, English. It was a very big, big war. We're not going to go into it. However, due to their allegiances to Russia, they allowed Russians to use its western lands as a base of operations for them to harry the Prussians. As a result... Prussians, not so happy.
2: Hang on, were they already in the alliance of the Black Eagles They at this were already time? in the
0: alliance as well. So there's a lot of, Ooh, a okay. lot of I, I would say, skullduggery.
2: Skullduggery, the betraying of your fellow oh, Black Eagles. Yeah, you know,
0: the, the Black Eagles flock together. Yeah. Or not in <laughs> the loss Yeah, yeah. Um, and so the Prussian king, Frederick II, ordered that the Polish currency, they would manufacture so much weight of, <gasps> like, of counterfeit currency that it effectively collapsed the economy, oh. so so much of the currency just couldn't be spent. I guess, massively. yeah, you yeah. could do that back then. Yeah, and it's just it's just really interesting. This mind whole part of like this uh, this whole thing is like subthreshold warfare. It's 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 not exactly you know overt, but it's crippling the s- state politically and economically. So the Russians, in return, though, they use their influence to. Uh, enact constitutional change in Poland and Lithuania to pass uh, rules that the veto power was uh, an inalienable right. You cannot get rid of this veto power because it suited them very well. I veto Uh, that. (laughs) (laughs) And they expelled Prussian sympathisers and they also made a decree that Russians were allowed to be safely housed, their troops could move freely and they could hold any office, including king. Um, And they established the Russian orthodoxy as an official religion as well. So they're really just like, you know, you know, Poland was politically, economically, culturally and religiously eroded. Uh, and this led to the partitions. So this is when they start carving up the land. So the Habsburgs of Austria, the Prussians and the Russians just agreed amongst themselves which lands they would get. So the three black eagles descending on Poland. There were skirmishes and battles to prevent this, but nonetheless, the first partition saw about 30% of the land and about half the population from one day to the next no longer being Polish slash Lithuanian. They were now part of Prussia. Wow. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices So, and they demand that King Stanislaw ratify this annexation. But he refused until they marched into, uh, into Krakow, and then he had no really no choice, but to sort of meekly agree. So, yeah, 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 it's going it's, it's yeah. to take 30%. I mean,
2: it was actually crazy that they asked the king, hey, can, can you sanction the fact that we've just <laughs> yeah, yeah. taken half of your people yeah, and a third insane. of your land? And oh, the, yeah, okay. the second
0: partition followed suit. It's very similar, 1790, where once again, declarations of annexation led to a further reduction of the Commonwealth, whereby these troops then, hey, we wrote this letter saying we own you now. Yeah. And it was, again, the, the population of Poland and Lithuania was down to 30%. Of what it once was So they had just Carved out Massive swath of land Swathes yeah. of land So at this stage Enough was enough Enter The hero of the tale A fascinating man Called Tadas Hmm kuzo Oh gosh a Fascinating no man my. Fascinating Tadas, Fascinating I'm so, I'm so sorry No I uh,
2: mean It's great
0: He was a Polish Military engineer Okay He was a military leader And a statesman And he believed That the constitution Of the original lands Of Poland Should be maintained and if, that, if they band it together, they restore uh, what they call the golden liberty of the commonwealth. As in like this, you know, Poland-Lithuania is Polish-Lithuanian. Um, prior to this, uh, where he got these funny old ideas of, you know, independence, uh, North America. You're oh. welcome. Yeah. He was a colonel in the American Revolutionary War. Oh, sweet. And he was a close friend of one Thomas Jefferson.
2: Oh. Yeah.
0: So he got some crazy ideas from Tommy J. But he brought them back with him. Old TJ. Uh, he he designed West Point. Uh, he, Is that yeah, true? He designed West Point, and he was promoted to brigadier general in the U.S. Army. Okay. I mean, second. at
2: that point, the Americans were promoting anyone. Yeah. Well,
0: I mean, <laughs> he was he was legit though. He was like super legit. He comes back to Poland, hoping to stir a revolution against those uh, uh. these partitions.
2: <laughs> was that a discontented sigh?
0: Yeah, his head's <laughs> full of dangerous ideas. <laughs> 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 but he comes back and he launches the Cossack uprisings in 1794 Um, this is in the backdrop where not only were the lands being confiscated and stuff the army itself was being carved up so that the army from Poland at the time was about 36,000 and that was reduced to 15,000 totally demoralized and those units were being conscripted into Russian Prussian armies so it was like hey you're now actually oh, no geez. longer Polish troops do they now.
2: have to then go fight their yeah, former yeah. army well, mates p-
0: potentially well i mean they weren't fighting poland at the time but if they're russians and prussians potentially they're they were fighting Polish each other italians, yeah. italians yeah. fighting each other yeah wow. potentially um so uh this was, you know, annoying for 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 our mate Tadas because he had never lost a battle before now, and he's seeing that the army was so denuded. Um, but the original planners of the uprising were delighted to have this hero of the people, super popular guy on board. Um, but he saw that it was extremely difficult to win. He knew it would be really tough against three you know, superpowers around them when they're getting so denuded. Um, and so for a while, he actually left for Italy to drum up support, make some plans. But things on the ground changed so dramatically, he had to launch the plans for uprising earlier than mm. he would have liked. He gave the order and 1,500 troops that were due to be drafted into the Russian army from Poland... Refused orders, downed tools, and rebelled. And this sparked outbreaks of violence against Russian troops throughout Poland. The result of this, as per the plan, was that the gar- garrison that was in Krakow was emptied, and they went out to go and quell these uprisings and these rebellions. Cool. This left an undefended capital. The time was now.
2: Is it appropriate for me to chant USA? Uh, no. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no. I don't know that it ever is. <laughs> I think week by week on the podcast, I'm always ready to do it. And then I'm reminded of bad
0: things. <laughs> oh gosh! Happened. Yeah, He took to the streets and he assumed the title of commander in chief of all the Polish forces and vowed in a stirring speech not to use these powers to oppress any person, but to defend the integrity of the borders of Poland, regain the independence of the nation and to strengthen universal liberties. Uh, he issued orders of conscription. One in every five house had to donate one man um, uh, to the army. But they were very one low in numbers.
2: every five houses yes. had to donate a man. Do yeah. they
0: organise that between them? I don't know. I, I mean, <laughs> it, on, not it. It took a while of planning. He was in Italy, census, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but he was really unable to arm them properly. He just didn't have enough armaments so yeah they it was a peasant army full of scythes there are no scythists or something like that they had a name like that oh because um,
2: they were just fighting with their with like farming yeah implements with farming because so. all the good tractors, all the like professional portable soldiers <laughs> had been um taken into the other into prussian and russian armies. yeah yeah yeah. Okay. and, and, and
0: right. I, you know there's all this kind of fractured land and yeah it yeah it wasn't so much together. i think
2: you could do a lot of damage with a scythe definitely oh 100 that's okay. a sharp blade. It is. It's, yeah, it's yeah. a sharp curved blade. It's what death uses. It is what good death enough uses. for the Polish <laughs> peasants. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, they made some early gains with their scythes. Um, of the 5,000 troops that were originally in the Krakow garrison, uh, two to 4,000 of them were killed and the rest fled. So they just mm. mopped up in the city. However, the Prussians and the Russians were mobilizing. They oh. are not ones to trifle with. Uh, the approximate 9,000 soldiers and 6,000 peasants of the revolution were held up in the city but they were outmatched by a mounted force of some 17,000 Prussians oh. and 9,000 Russians and that grew in time when there was 45,000 troops besieging Krakow and uh, okay the Tadis, scythes yeah, the scythes are going to yeah. have trouble against they had more scythes yeah it was a scythe uh, scythe off and there was definitely more
2: horse scythes and
0: and Tadas, the hero was defeated at the Battle of uh yep sounds legit. Like no, I'm so <laughs> yeah, sorry no I've, I've been uh, there I'm so sorry <laughs> um It's very lovely this time of year. He was defeated there and this obviously caused a bit of a collapse in morale. And Warsaw was also being besieged at the time. And after a few hours of brutal, brutal, brutal street to street battle, some 22,000 Russians broke through, looted and burned Warsaw to the ground. Mm. The uprising was over. The power of Poland was broken uh, the three black eagles were cawing in victory over the spoils
2: feasting on the carrion of the white eagle exactly
0: <laughs> and the third partition then soon followed where the three great powers resigned to dissolve the notion of the state of poland wow so poland's and its lands and lithuania was completely split up and divided amongst them uh, you know the profitable st- salt mines of the west <laughs> and to, that's actually true uh-huh. okay okay yeah <laughs> they had salt mines i like salt yeah yeah everyone loves salt um uh, uh, polish salt is the best mm, yeah um totally about it. but yes the lands were split up and poland itself ceased to exist as a concept as a nation for 123 years wow yeah Crazy. so poland then you know it did come about again and poland does exist to this day as, it does, of, yeah. as of recording of the podcast <laughs> yeah um But yeah, and there's a very rich history of how this came about that comes in subsequent years, but that's not what we're covering today. No. And so, thus endeth my tale of the year of
1: 1795 in Poland. Okay, am I going to talk this week about the Battle of Genoa? Also known as the Battle of Cape Noli. Which was a naval battle fought between French and British forces. Wet war. With some, uh, <laughs> that's what I call it.
2: <laughs> Sorry, a wet a wet war. Wet I call it wet war. wars. Yeah, wet naval war.
1: battles. Yeah. Which was a wet war fought between <laughs> French and British forces, uh, and there were some allies thrown in on the British side, but of course it was led by the gallant British. <laughs> uh, and. It took place on the fourteenth of March in seventeen ninety five. Wow, guys, we did it. We did it. it. A full episode of things that happened in the year. RNG surely must reward us for this. It's
2: glowing with pride.
1: And it took place in the Gulf of Genoa during the French Revolutionary Wars. The French fleet was led by a French admiral called Pierre Martin, who general. (laughs) <laughs>
2: I think we call him a water fighter. The French
1: fleet was led by a French water fighter called Pierre Martin who had 14 ships of the line uh, and on the British side there were the-
2: boats. Oh wait, no, hang on. <laughs>
1: you know you, you know why they were called ships of the line, right?
0: Cuz they went in the line following the canoe tactics from earlier. <laughs> How many ships are? there? don't
1: know.
2: <laughs> have to look on them. Can't They're in be. a line. It just looks like one.
1: And the Royal Navy was under a guy called Vice Admiral William Hotham, with who had 13 ships of the line mm-hmm. or wet wh- boats. Well, <laughs> well, it doesn't really work, yeah, does it? Yeah,
2: as soon as I said it, I realized. What I meant was like water tanks. Water tanks. Ah, okay, yeah. right, yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: chariots of the oceans yeah. ocean tanks yeah, ocean yeah. chariots
2: oh, chariots. Ch- chariots of the ocean is very good that's,
1: that's and uh the battle of course uh, otherwise i wouldn't be talking about it ended with a british victory <laughs> and the capture of two ships belonging to the perfidious french
2: can i ask one question of clarification please you said this was during the french wars of in, revolutionary wars french revolutionary wars why are the british involved
1: why well I, so from reading into this and from... Some dubious knowledge, but I believe it was a bit like the um during the American Revolutionary Wars. There were parties on both sides. Uh-huh. There were Loyalists and Royalists, yes, and then there were revolutionaries. And it was the same in the threat fr- in France. So in France, there were revolutionary forces, and then there were British, then there were Royalist forces. Okay. and I think the British intervened to try and prevent the republicans. Yeah, well, they don't
0: want us, you know, the spread of democracy, liberty, equality, and fraternity. You know, that right. doesn't suit the no. British yeah. monarchy. Whatsoever. So I think this
1: this was still in that period when the British were trying to to stop the Republicans... Succeeding, okay, hmm. okay. But like okay, the White okay. Russians supported the White Russians after the okay, that revolution. Okay, maybe later. and
2: maybe they are also like, oh, we can also just get Genoa, which would be cool.
1: Yeah, and also, yeah, probably yeah. just seize stuff as well. Right. Uh, so uh, the battle was part of a wet war campaign <laughs> that took place in the spring of 1795, during which the French admiral was trying to assert control over the waters off southern France, which had effectively been ceded to the British about a year and a half earlier when the British captured uh, the French Mediterranean base of Toulon. So to talk a bit about the background, uh, the French Revolutionary Wars were were expanded hugely in early 1793. So a couple of years earlier when this newly formed French Republic, just as we were talking about, declared, uh, decided to declare war on Britain. And this was, I I assume, partly because Britain was doing what we said a moment ago, which is intervening on the other side of the whole... um... That
2: is also just such a, like, immediately aggro act. Like, Mm. the French Republic only became a republic in 1789. And then four years later, they're like, you know what? Time to go after the British. Not like figure out how to be a republic.
0: You are starting to understand why nobody likes the French
1: in Britain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is the history of Fair Britain, yeah. which is basically that Britain has been sitting very quietly by itself in the <laughs> in the, nor- in, in the, <laughs> in the North its own in the North Atlantic. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just trying to get by and yeah. trade. And other people, naughty people elsewhere, keep picking (laughs) fights with us. (laughs) They were basically it was
0: Hobbiton, is what it was, (laughs) just complete isolationists never cast a, you know yep. riot, uh, cast the first stone just
2: with their big hairy they feet they
0: stumbled into empire and colonialism,
1: con- colonialism and occasionally were called on to quest yeah. <laughs> <What
2: was this? laughs> alright you know what yes great I feel fully f- like <laughs> informed
1: so uh, to defend British commercial interests in the context of having just been declared war on uh, the, the Royal Navy established a fleet and sent it down to patrol the Mediterranean trade lanes and sea lanes so by 1795 the French had managed to rebuild their fleet, but it took a couple of years to do it, uh, which meant that the French didn't have to worry so much about avoiding a fight. They now felt they had roughly about enough forces to be able to like find the British and fight them in the Mediterranean to try and assert their control of the Med.
2: They had enough forces? Yeah. It, okay, it, I did think you said horses, and I got very see, confused. Sorry, yes, ocean horses. Ocean Yes, <laughs> ocean horses.
1: <laughs> and the British, on their side, were also kind of keen to meet this reformed French fleet as well, because at some point they had to defeat it. So both sides were pretty much up for yeah. a fight at this point, and just looking for the right opportunity and the battle between the two fleets ended up happening in march 1795 as we've said about 25 miles off genoa and on the day though the position that the french admiral was in was that he wasn't that happy because the british had an advantage with respect to the wind and were mm. and and obviously they i'm had not an expert mm. the weather vein mm-hmm.
2: listen if so- there's one thing i know the british can command it's the wind and the rain <laughs> <laughs> They do it all the time.
0: What do you know of the damp?
2: (laughs) (laughs) We were raised in the damp.
1: (laughs) So on the day, the French were basically trying to avoid battle, really, and the British were chasing them down. And the day started by uh, 6.30 in the morning. As the sun came up, two British ships, the Bedford and the Captain, Kate uh, caught up with the two with the French stragglers at the back of their fleet, and were and um, but were both really quite badly damaged as they tried to fight their way into the main. Uh, French body and then as both fleets started to encounter each other the main bodies of both fleets started to encounter each other there was, they were then beset by a period of calm weather which yeah. meant uh, the which enemy hap- of the British <laughs> <laughs> and that made manoeuvring really really difficult oh, yeah. and there was this kind of slow motion set of turns and attacks and it's kind of comical if you read the history of lots of this of, of uh, wet war battles from this <laughs> from this period is that uh, this is often what happened you'd have have two fleets approaching each other and coming together at about six miles an hour just blasting the hell out of each other as they close that distance which is both you know completely comical frankly but also (laughs) you just had to take it and like yeah. J- yeah. and try and fire your cannons as far as fast as you could as accurately as you could and uh, and just slowly close the distance
2: this makes me think of the scene in austin powers when yes. he's in the steamroller and the guy <laughs> is like no and then you zoom out and he's going so slow i'm just imagining the two ships coming at each other at such a crawl
1: yeah that's it except with, like with cannons and hundreds of people dying yeah yeah
2: <laughs> Well, that part is less that funny. Took the, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: Um, and at the end over the course of the battle the British eventually got the upper hand of course and prevailed Uh, but critically there was the opportunity at the the end of the battle to press the attack even more that the British had and to chase down some of the escaping French but the British commander Vice Admiral Hotham who we mentioned earlier proclaimed we must be contented we have done very well but (laughs) unfortunately no amount of appeals from Nelson who was on another vessel at the time could convince him to continue the action and press it down Mm -hmm. Uh, and so uh, the moment was lost, and the French did manage to slip away the, the the bulk of their forces did manage to slip away so it was a british victory and uh, after the battle the british and the some of the and the allied forces amount, uh, had losses that amounted to about seventy four killed and about 280, 284 wounded and no one really got a full accounting for the French casualties. Yeah. Uh, because of their lack of professionalism, probably. <laughs> and record-keeping. <laughs> and record-keeping. In numeracy. But in the British accounts, it's a key, it's listed as approximately 400, 400 casualties. Wow. And the result was that although uh, the battle was a British victory, Nelson was so scathing in private of the lack of aggression, and others were kind of critical as well yeah, of the lack yeah. of aggression, that the, the, attack, that the, the battle was... Slightly forgotten about, and then only three years later was massively overshadowed, or not, or paled into into insignificance compared with the Battle of the Nile and yeah. these very, very famous naval victories that the the British started to have against the French. And so, as a result, it became a little forgotten. And it wasn't until the eighteen forties, fifty years later, that the British gave a medal ribbon to all the veterans, mm-hmm. to so ah. that they could actually be they could actually commemorate the battle.
2: joining us that is everything you would ever need to know about 1795 mm-hmm. i can't imagine anything else of relevance happened that year no. if you have questions or comments you can as always find us on twitter visit our website randomlygeneratedhistory.com.
0: And also, please follow me on Twitter. I have six followers. I don't know what I'm doing.
2: (laughs) Wow, brag. It's
0: at randomlyant. I've been tweeting Elon nearly daily. (laughs) But now it is time to choose our next year. So, Will, please, can you boot up the random number generator?
1: I absolutely can. And as a reminder, we've set the random number generator to choose a year between 1000 BCE and
0: 2000 CE. Oh.
1: There's that a ticker tape weird. coming out of the random number generator again. Oh, Let no. me just <laughs> read it. God. It is in Morse code. <laughs> Does it
2: just say, you guys are doing so great? Yeah, take, a,
1: take, <laughs> a, take, take some dot, time dash, off, maybe. Dash, dot, dot. Oh, wait, okay, so I think it says, Merry Christmas. Oh. <laughs> Your next episode will be the first annual Christmas special.
2: Huh. Okay. Interesting.
1: That is...
0: That is very interesting.
2: What do we think that means?
0: I guess we'll find out on the 20th of December. This is (sighs) exciting. How
2: very exciting. (laughs) I'm jingling in anticipation. History is coming. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll see you then when we decipher the message for the first annual Christmas special.
1: Mm, Great. See you next week. Bye.